Well, good morning. It is, it is so good to be um, here this morning and be able to finally wrap up our, our message series, which has been in the book of Acts. We started this uh, in 2017, so it hasn't been uh, three full years, but there have been three calendar years that have uh, seen us in this book. Now, there's been a few different series uh, in the meantime. There's been uh, several different studies that we stopped and, and took a look at, you know, during Christmas season and, and so on. But today we bring this long but beautiful study in the book of Acts to a close. Uh, and so if you remember last week, what we were talking about was that this idea um, that, that what we believe matters. And we took a look at Paul, who was on the island of Malta. And remember, he had just survived this shipwreck, and now he got on the island. And it was raining, and it was cold, and the people built a fire. And Paul says, hey, I'm not above uh, you know, going and do some work. And so he's gathering some sticks, and he throws the sticks in the fire. Then this viper latches on to him, and he just shakes it off. No, no big deal. His response was pretty nonchalant. No problem, we'll, we'll get through this. They're all looking at him thinking, this guy is going to die. Uh, justice is going to get him. He survived the shipwreck somehow. We don't know how, but surely he's a murderer, and here's justice. Justice is out to get him. So we took a look at the idea of Malta in America, and that there is this theory of retribution that we believe in our hearts that if we do good, God will give us good. And, and that, that if we perform, then somehow we gain the favor of God. And so at Malta, there was this idea that if, if you uh, uh, live a certain way, you're a murderer, justice is going to get you. And in America, we've got this idea of karma, that karma is out there. There's something called karma, and, you know, I better not do this bad thing, not because it displeases the Lord or because it makes me a bad person. I better not do this thing because karma is going to get me back somewhere, some, somewhere down the road. And so we have to reject both of those ideas. There is no such thing as karma. There is no such thing in the gospel as earning God's love. He loves us while we were sinners. And 1 Timothy says that Jesus Christ came for this, to save sinners. And so we believe that the gospel, first and foremost, is recognizing that we cannot earn our way to heaven. And with that in mind, for the believer, there remains no punishment. Because on Christ was put all of the punishment. That doesn't mean that Jesus Christ uh, won't discipline us. It doesn't mean that God won't teach us. But there remains no punishment for the believer, and there's beauty in that. And so we rest in that, knowing that that is what we have our hope in. But we also took a look at a couple of different things. We talked about, you know, there's things in our culture that are teaching us. Um, in Malta, there was a cultural narrative. In America, there's a cultural narrative. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we putting the right things in our hearts and in our minds um, that would make us more uh, uh, in line with Scripture? And we said... In our suffering, our theology shows up. So that's where we left last week. In our suffering, our theology shows up. So this week, we're going to move on, and we're going to take actually a few moments to look at a quick overview of our whole study of Acts. Now, I couldn't, I couldn't um, take you on a journey of 
all the sermons that we did, but I've picked a few of them that I would like to review this morning. So our first off, we're going to take a look at a review of the series. Then we're also going to take a look at this idea that we must preach to our generation because we see that that's what Paul was called to do. That's the model Paul gave us in the book of Acts and all the others who preached, Peter, Stephen, all these others, that's exactly what we did. And so that's a call for us as well. And we also must live with the end in mind. So as we finish our study in the book of Acts, we will see that there will always be an end. And for us, there is an end as well. Every ministry will come to an end sometime. So let us live with the end in mind. And so the major doctrine that I wanted to defend this morning is that the days are short and the end is coming. Therefore, the gospel must be preached in our generation. The days are short and the end is coming. Therefore, the gospel must be preached in our generation. God didn't put us on this earth to simply get saved and then go live a comfortable Christian life in isolation. He put us on this earth to save us, yes, but what? To also preach the gospel so others might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The, the end is not your salvation. The end is that many will hear the gospel and many will be saved. And that may cost us something as we've seen all throughout the book of Acts. And so as we start here, I want you to have in your mind that all personal ministries must come to an end. I want to put that on the screen. And I want you to think about that. Whatever ministry you have, it will one day be no more. Doesn't matter if it's just a if it's just the ministry to your family. You know, one day your kids are going to grow up and they're going to leave. Your ministry will change. One day you will die. Your ministry, you, the ministry you're over and responsible for, will end. And even bigger picture, organizations that we've set up, they will all come to an end sometime. So let us be mindful of that. Of all personal ministries must come to an end. Paul is not on the earth anywhere preaching right now. I would love that if he was. I would go ask him some questions. But his ministry had an end. And how dare us think we are any better than Paul that our ministries are going to go on forever. Your personal ministry will come to an end at some point. So if you will, raise with me, stand up, and we will begin by reading our passage um, that will be uh, a part of what we'll look at this morning. Because we're also going to do an overview. But let us read the end of Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 17. It says, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the custom of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the people of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letter from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging, a great number from morning till evening, he expounded them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Israel, uh, through, excuse me, through Isaiah the prophet. 
Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And with their eyes, they have closed, lest they, have, lest they should see. And with their eyes and their ears, and understand with their heart in turn. And I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. Man, there is a lot there even just in this little section of scripture. Um, and and, and I, I just want to take just a moment to speak to this passage in light of even what we studied in Sunday school this morning. We studied this morning in Sunday school this idea of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And there's this unforgivable sin. But at the root of that unforgivable sin was not necessarily something any one individual Jew did, but it was a disbelieving heart. That they looked at Jesus and they said, we see your miracles, great, good job. You did it by the power of the devil. Literally, they were saying, I do not believe you are the Messiah. And the works that were meant to show you are the Messiah, I reject them. Not only do I reject them, I'm saying that they are by the power of the devil. And what we see time and time again through scripture is God calling Israel. And Israel having an unbelieving heart. They were a stiff-necked people. And here, right here, Paul, the book of Acts ends with this. Paul saying, here's what the Holy Spirit said, and he was right in saying it. Go to this people, who? Israel, and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their, eyes they can with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand it with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. That is tough stuff. But what we have to look at in light of that concept of is there an unpardonable sin? You know what the unpardonable sin is? Is unbelief. If you do not believe, you cannot be forgiven. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, you have believed. That means that there is no sin that you will ever commit which will snatch you from the hands of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, all the Father has given me, I shall not lose one of them. He doesn't say, all the Father has given me, I shall not lose any of them unless they say something bad about the Holy Spirit. Then I'll do my best to preserve them, but they're probably going to be lost. That's not what he says. But there is a reality here, and Acts finishes with it, that Israel has over and over rejected the Holy Spirit, has over and over rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And that is bad, bad stuff. But let us take a look at our bigger picture here. Where have we come from in this book of Acts? Uh, if you want to, you can turn over there to Acts 4.32 through 5.11. This was one of our stops in our study in the book of Acts. And it's a beautiful idea that the believers had everything in common. They had one heart and one soul. And we saw a lot of generosity going around. But this is that story of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, they sold some property, and then they went, and they only laid a portion down, and then they died. They were killed for it. And it's kind of like, wow, that's interesting. And everyone was struck with fear. Um, and, and literally in that, remember, they said, you said, you haven't lied to us. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. 
And, and that was the great offense. But one of the things that we looked at was this beautiful side is that generosity was a demonstration of the power of the gospel in the early church as they were free from trying to find ultimate hope and meaning in material possessions. And so that's one of the things, one of the truths that we held on to, that we saw in the early church, is they weren't tied to their material possessions as a sign of hope. And we talked about, uh, you know, this idea in American culture that there's been a shift in hope. Uh, Andrew uh, DeBlanco wrote, wrote a really interesting book, um, Meditations on Hope, The True American Dream. And he says that there was basically three ways in which Americans have tried to gain hope. The first was that they really did place their hope in, in, in God, and in, in God we trust. We see it in our money, and the, and the founders really were declaring that their hope was found in God. But then there was this move, and it was, I find my hope in the nation. I find my hope in being an American. And there was this national pride that was a sense and a, and a source of hope. But now in these days, we've seen even a shift from that as, I hope in what? I hope in myself. So we saw this, we saw these phases in American culture, but we also look back at the early church and their ultimate hope was not in their material possessions and it wasn't even in their national identity. Their hope was in Jesus Christ. But that hope enabled them to be generous, to free them to great generosity, to give to all who had need. But what we saw was that there were some, some missed points here. But we also noted that true generosity is a mark of a Christian demonstrating the power of the gospel. While hypocrisy is the mark of a Christian denying the power of the gospel. Because that's what we saw sneak up, was that there was this hypocrisy that came, and we saw it with Ananias and Sapphira, and, and, and so we have to wrestle with this, and I want to put it up there. Generosity turns our focus outwards, while hypocrisy turns our focus inwards. We are hypocrites when we allow false images of our moral goodness to be celebrated. You're not a hypocrite if you make a mistake. That's not a hypocrite. A lot of people say, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, how? Well, there's lots of messed up people in the church. Well, that doesn't make you a hypocrite. What makes you a hypocrite is being messed up, but then acting like you're not messed up. That's hypocritical. Putting forward an image of yourself that's not true and letting people celebrate a false image of your morality is hypocritical. Now, does that mean that we've all got to stand up and confess every sin we've ever committed so that everyone's full disclosure, everyone knows, and every week everyone's got to redo that again because we've screwed up since last Saturday? I mean, you'd have, you'd have to do this nonstop. That's not the point. The point is, is if we are actively trying to promote an image of ourselves that is not true, to celebrate a false image of our morality, that is hypocrisy. And that is absolutely a poison within the church. You know why? Because it enslaves us to living a false identity among one another. It enslaves us into the fact that we can't be honest and vulnerable with one another. We can't come and confess our sin to one another. The scripture literally says, confess your sin. Do we do that? Not very well. Why? Because I'm afraid. Why are you afraid? Because a lot of people are acting like they've got it together when they really don't. A lot of people are waiting for blood in the water so that they can bite. Why? Because it makes us feel good. If I can see someone else falling, then I'm like, let's highlight that to distract from my own shortcomings. Rather than, as Galatians 6 says, if any of you are caught in sin, those who are spiritual among you must restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Restoration in a spirit of gentleness. How do you restore? Well, first you've got to know someone's caught in sin. How do you know they're caught in sin? You've got to confess. How do you confess? You have to be vulnerable and honest with one another. So the whole cycle breaks down if we're living in hypocrisy. 
So we saw that. That was one of the stops that we made. Also, we saw in Acts 9, 32 through 43, this is where Dorcas is healed. And, and we, we pray for her parents for giving her that name. But she was healed. She was raised from the dead. Uh, but this is an interesting idea. Um, and we, we saw this idea that Christ calls and equips us to live a life full of love and mercy, caring for those in need without prejudice, so that we might glorify God by serving his people. And we saw this, that the power of Christ heals and it raises to life the dead and draws men and women to salvation. Um, and we saw that, that in this instance, someone died, and it reminds us that a day has been named for all of us, and how we live now is preparation for that day. That theme we're kind of harping on this morning is in line with that exact thought we looked at months and probably years ago. That a day has been named for every one of you. And every day that you live is preparation for that day. Uh, an idea that I've been wrestling with, and I love it, uh, is, is, is this idea of debt. And I, and I get some of it from the Puritans, and, and um, I, I, I may be... I may be inspiring a book here with me and Chris. I don't know. We'll see. But this idea of don't die with debt, there's two ways that that can happen. You can die in actual monetary debt, right? You can die with a lot of debt, and then who gets that? Your family. And they're like, thank you. That's great. Now, uh, I really celebrate your uh, Bachelor of Science uh, in, 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 in ribbon dancing. Now I've got to pay for that. It's probably a Bachelor of Arts, though, right? Yeah, probably not a science degree. But you can die with debt, but there's a greater debt that you may die with, and that is the debt of all of your sins. And so we, we say, don't die in debt. Live with the end in mind. Every day is preparation for that day. And you know what? This is just a challenge for us. We ought to live with that end in mind. That means being financially responsible. Just because you can afford payments on it doesn't mean you can afford it. Right? David Ramsey says, cash is king. Die well. Don't have sin in your life that's unconfessed, which means, honestly, don't die without Jesus. And don't die with a lot of other debt, too. But we have this idea that we have to live with the end in mind, and every day we live now is preparation for that day. But the, the beauty is that death is not the end. As we saw in the case with, with Tabitha, uh, that, that death is not the final end of itself, right? So I want to put on the screen, the power of Christ enables us to live and to die well, and we would do well to think on our morality, taking not a moment of life for granted, but using it to prepare to die well because we know that this isn't the end. Death isn't the end. If it was the end, then it really wouldn't matter how we live. If there is no afterlife, then as Paul says, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if there is something beyond death, it's not just about dying well, but making sure that you're ready to live forever. Because death is not the end. And as, as C.S. Lewis says, you've never met a mere mortal. What does that mean? It means that every person we will ever encounter is going to live forever. Forever either in the glory and peace of God or forever in his holy and just wrath. There's only two options that that you have. You've never met a mere mortal. But then we took another look, uh, and, and this is a really beautiful image for us in Acts 13, 1 through 12. And this is where we saw Paul and Barnabas, they're called. But what we saw was that God calls his missionaries from the church, empowering them for gospel success. God calls 
from the church, but then he empowers, right? So God calls the church sins, but the Spirit prepares the way. And you see in that text that that's exactly what the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit went before them, prepared the way. But he also called, the Holy Spirit called Paul and Barnabas from the church. And so we have this, and and I'm putting on the screen, God calls, the church sins, and God empowers for success in evangelism. We ought to be about the work of preaching the gospel. And you can do that because God not only calls and the church sins, but God's the one who empowers for success in evangelism. If we're depending on our ability to preach the gospel super, super well, and when we walk away uh, and, and they say, you know what, they didn't believe in Jesus, must be something wrong with my presentation. You're missing the point. There may be something wrong with your presentation, but you can't put all of the pressure on your presentation. That's not a license to say, oh, be flippant and be a jerk and be confrontational and try to make everyone feel stupid and win all the arguments, and that's how you get people to be you know, Christians. That, that would be bad. That would be in-your-face ministries, which I hope would be shut down pretty quick. But there is a side in which we have to look at it correctly, that if we take credit for the decrease, we might take credit for the increase. There's problems with that, that the God of the universe is the one who enables us to be successful in evangelism. And we preach well, the best of our ability, but we have to live with this truth in mind. God calls, the church sends, and God empowers for success in evangelism. And one note on that church sending point, that means that no man is an island. Paul was doing ministry in a church, in a local church. That local church sent Paul and Barnabas. It wasn't Paul and Barnabas hanging out at Starbucks, sipping a latte, thinking, man, you know what, we should start a mission trip. God called, the church sent, the church laid hands on them and sent them out. If that's how it worked for Paul, you and I probably aren't above it. You can't be an island. And let me just go another step. Paula mentioned it, and I think it's, it's, it's absolutely important. The church is the meeting of believers. You are not a church if everyone stays at home and watches the service online. You are not a member of this church. You get to view the sermons, that's great, but you are not actually part of the congregation. The congregation is the called ones who gather, the ecclesia, the assembly. Some churches do count internet attendance as part of the congregation, but that's not the way it works. How can we be the body of Christ if we never meet together, if we never break bread together, if we never take the communion together, if we never confess our sins to one another, if we're never accountable to one another? You are not living in biblical community. Paul was sent from the church to do gospel work. So don't ever forget that. Then we also saw a beautiful stop, Acts 16, 1 through 40. uh, Lydia and the jailer, this was two really beautiful pictures of salvation. And if you remember, uh, I believe it was in verse 14, that it says that God opened her heart and allowed her to hear the words of Paul. She's sitting there listening, and then something clicked. The Holy Spirit did something to enable her to hear not just what Paul was saying, but the truth of it, to recognize Jesus is the Messiah, worthy of her trust. And she came to faith. We also saw the jailer come to faith. And there's this beautiful image here. And and, and, and personal evangelism is a work of God that involves preaching, hearing, and believing. And we took a little bit of time to look at that, that we've got to... We've got, to be, we've got to have clarity uh, and, and conviction um, in this. 
right? So there's this idea that, that there's got to be clarity and conviction, but in order for the gospel to truly be effective, evangelism has to include preaching, hearing, and believing. Remember what Romans says, how can they believe unless they hear, right? And it goes down that whole list. How can they hear until someone preaches? How can they preach unless they are sent? So how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel message? So the gospel message has to include these three things, preaching, hearing, and believing. And sometimes the way we preach actually causes people to not be able to hear us. Do you get that? You can, the, you can get the, the air pressure changes. You can hear the audio, but not hear with your heart. There's a way in which we can preach which actually causes problems for people to hear. If you're coming to them and saying, let me beat you up and show you how wrong you are, that's probably not going to be the best way to help them hear. You've got to focus on letting them hear well, and that means preaching the gospel in love because you're no better than they are. I'm no better than they are. When we preach, we are one beggar telling another beggar a good story, right? Here's hope. Here's, here's the gospel. And so we've got to look at that. Um, and, but, but one of the things I want to put on the screen is that God delights in saving sinners by way of those who have experienced mercy, being the ones to preach mercy. I remember when I was sitting down writing that sermon. It's fun to go back and look at this stuff. I remember when I was writing that, I was like, it literally was a light bulb that came on. Um, and I was out of town when I was writing it. And the, and, and the rest of the time that I was out of town, I just couldn't stop thinking about the beauty of that. Because at that point in my life, I was feeling like I'm not qualified. And God, that, that's, a, that's a point in time I can look back and say, that's when God taught me that I wasn't trusting in him. I was trusting in me. Because I was trying to be qualified by what? By my own performance, by my ability to not have done some of the things I've done in the past. But literally in that point, it hit me so hard when I looked at this and I said, I've experienced mercy, and that's exactly what qualifies me to preach mercy. I know what it is to be a sinner found in favor through the mercy of God. So do not ever forget that that is an absolute essential part of God's beautiful work when he delights in saving sinners. He uses those who have experienced mercy to be the ones to preach mercy. And that's not just my case. Look at everyone else who was ever effective in preaching the gospel. They first benefited from the gospel. Peter, Paul, I mean, you go down the list, every one of them. Jonah, I mean, just anywhere you want to go, you will see that these people first benefiting from mercy. And then that enables them to preach mercy effectively. So then we looked at the shipwreck, which we're getting close to where we are now. That's Acts 27, 13 through 44. And we, we talked about God alone is worthy of our trust and obedience for he alone will save. And we had to ask this question, do we trust God? Is he, is he a sufficient savior or do we have a plan B? And we talked about that this is what it looks like to stand there on the edge of our ship and say to our lifeboat labeled self-righteousness, good works and faithfulness, look at those and say, you know what, maybe I'm hoping in these things. Maybe I feel like I'm such a good person that I need the gospel a little less than other people. Or maybe we say, you know what, I'm so faithful that I don't, I don't need as much grace or as much mercy. And so this is my plan B. But as we saw, those people who were on that shipwreck, they were about to get in a lifeboat to leave. And Paul says, if you leave, you will die. The point is that there is one way to be saved. Jesus Christ is the sufficient Savior. 
and he alone is able to save. We have no other Savior but Christ, and he alone is able to save. And so we look at our lifeboat, and we cut the rope, and we throw the rope in, and we watch our lifeboat go into the angry ocean, get crushed by the waves, and sink to the bottom, offering us absolutely no hope of saving us. If we were looking at anything other than the mercy of Jesus Christ and his good work to save us, we have a plan B, and we have to cut that rope, throw it in the ocean, and let it go. So we looked at that, we thought about that, we painted a beautiful word image, I believe, in that prayer time that morning, that we're sitting on the, on the deck of the sinking ship, let that salt water hit you in the face, stand there committed to trusting nothing but Christ and his love for his sheep. Stand there and committed to trust in nothing but Christ and his love for his sheep. Are you trusting in anything besides that? And if you are, give it up. But now I want to finish our last few minutes of our time together. We've done a beautiful overview. I wish we could have taken every stop. There's some good ones. It was really hard to leave stuff on the cutting room floor. Um, we had some really amazing stops through the book of Acts um, since 2017. Uh, and today I want to move to our second point, which is we must preach to our generation. So we see here at the book of Acts, it ends with Paul living two years under arrest. Now it was a kind of a loose arrest, uh, but he was preaching and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's what it, that's what it ends with. Um, isn't that interesting that, that these Jews over here in Rome, they're like, I haven't even heard anything about you. And the others are like ready to kill him. And then he gets over here, and they're like, well, we haven't gotten any letters. We haven't heard anything bad about you, so we'll give you a case. Let's hear it. Let's hear your story. And so he, he, he shares his story. Well, isn't it beautiful what he does? Um, look at this over here in uh, verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great number. So a lot of Jews showed up from morning till evening. What happened? He expounded to them. Expository preaching. Paul was a fan of it. He expounded to them testifying to the, to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses, the Pentateuch, right, and from the prophets. That's the whole Old Testament. The law and the prophets, that's the whole Old Testament. Paul was expounding from their scripture. Who? Jesus. Oh, we don't need the Old Testament. You can do away with that. That's obsolete. R really? Because that's exactly what Paul used to argue for Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Well, did it work? I don't know. Let's look. Verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Interesting. Isn't that the truth of what we experience today? Does everyone we preach to come to saving faith? No. But do some? Yes. Thank God. Thank God. And the sovereignty of God, rather than, than causing us to not do evangelism, is actually the only thing that gives us hope in evangelism. Because some will come. Not by our beautiful message, but because he has seen it fit to have mercy on people. Whosoever will. Whosoever will respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. And now I believe that regeneration precedes faith. I believe the Holy Spirit's got to get in you and do something to you, bring what was dead to life before you can even trust in Jesus. You can't trust in Jesus while you're an enemy. You can't trust in Jesus when you're dead. So salvation is not a reward for your faith. 
Your faith comes out of what the Holy Spirit's already been doing in your heart. But it doesn't end there. You don't sit back and just say, all right, do your work. Just as when Paul was on this shipwreck, everyone didn't sit there and say, well, Paul had a good message for us. We're all going to live, so let's just sit back. No, they were throwing stuff overboard. They're trying to lighten the load. After 14 days, Paul's like, you know what, guys? What we haven't done in a while is eat. Let's eat and be strengthened. And then what? Throw that overboard. Why? To lighten the ship, to increase their chances of survival, even though God had already said you're not going to die. But there was still obedience to be had. So too with the gospel message. Gospel message is that we are saved by grace through faith, not of anything that we have done. There's nothing. There's no room for us to boast. The God has seen it fit to save us. That's what, you know, First Peter, I love that. First Peter 1, it says, uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the power of the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Who caused us to be born again? God did. Just as we, in our conception, biologically speaking, had nothing to do with it. You and I weren't there when we were conceived. We didn't say, hey, here's my opinion in this matter. You were a product of it. So too we believe that through the preaching and through the work of the Holy Spirit, something happens to us from which we respond. And you have to respond. If you reject, then you aren't saved. I'm not going to get into provenient grace or um, irresistible grace here. But I do believe that there is absolutely something we cannot miss. And that is we have to preach from the scripture. And we preach with the hope of some being saved. And we have that hope because we believe that salvation belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you and me. Because I wish I could go up to someone who's spiritually dead and flip a switch and bring them to life. If I could do that, I would do that. But what we have to do is we go preach Christ. And we let the rest be in the hands of God who alone can save. That's, that's it. So what do we do? Let us be bold, preaching the kingdom of Christ to our generation. You are not responsible for the generation of Martin Luther. You are not responsible for the generation of Paul. You are not responsible for even your grandkids' generation. You're responsible for your generation. Every one of you. Here's, let, me, let me be a little mean. Pastor Rob, get to work. You're responsible for your time. And you will be called to give an account of your time. You know, Jesus said, you know, that whole thing with, uh, uh, we're talking about in, in Mark, where Jesus says that you've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. Well, you know what also he said? Every careless word will be brought into account. So we are saved by grace. I'm not saying work salvation at all, but be mindful that we are responsible for some things. And part of what we're responsible is for is the words we say, the things we do. But let us throw off all hindrances, whether from without or from within, so we might be effective ambassadors of Christ. That's what Paul did. That's what, that's what it ends with. Verse 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God, I'm teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You remember the parable of the sower and that some seeds fall by the roadside and they, they die pretty quick. Um, birds come and get them. Then there's some that fall among the thorny ground, right? And they start to grow up, but the thorns kill them. I want to just take a second to, to talk through that one. Just a second. Because that, those people who grow up and then the thorns crush them, 
Those are the people who are still in love with the world. And the cares of the world are what come and crush them. When they first get into any persecution, that, I mean, that's, that's what starts to happen. They are hindered. And so we've got to be mindful whenever we look at this, should we preach with all boldness so we might be effective? Uh, well, part of that is that we've got to get rid of our hindrances. If there's any idols in our life, if there's any sin in our life, if there's any illegitimate worldly cares, we've got to throw those off because those are, those are the things that are making us ineffective as ambassadors for Christ. So as we finish this morning, I want to end with our third stop, that we must live with the end in mind. And we've been talking about this. The whole theme this morning has, has been this. And as just as the book of Acts ends for us today, um, we've got to have in mind that our story will come to a close. Every one of our stories will come to a close. As I journal, as I write, you know, I, maybe no one will ever read what I wrote, and it doesn't matter. But I am convinced that there's going to be a day where I will not be able to write anymore. There's going to be a day where I can't go out into the world and preach anymore. There's a day where I can't run my little website for apologetics anymore. There'll be a day where I can't meet with my friends and do sermon reading club stuff. There's going to be a day when all of that stuff ends, where I'm not preaching here anymore. You know, as I was looking through the old photos from like 1940-something, the pictures of this church, those people are dead. Like Oscar Pig, one of the first pastors, he's not alive anymore. His ministry is done. And I am so honored to be here to preach now, but I recognize my ministry one day too will come to an end. Every one of us must look at ourselves with that in mind, that there is an end coming. Prepare for it by living well today. Do not squander your time. Because we will give an account for our time, so let us live and preach well, making the most of our time, as the scripture says, for the days are evil. If you'll stand with me, we'll bring this to a close this morning. I hope you've enjoyed our study in the book of Acts. We will go into our Easter series here soon. But if you will, take, take a moment to go back and, and look through Acts. Um, maybe you weren't here for the whole study. So go through, look at the book of Acts. It is such an important work. But this morning, I want you to think about that main theme that we've got to live with the, with the end in mind. As the major doctrine I stated was the days are short, the end is coming, therefore the gospel must be preached in our generation. So I invite you to close your eyes now and begin to, to do business with the Lord, to ask him to show you the ways in which you are hindered, the way in which you are not effectively preaching the gospel, or maybe even the way in which you're not believing the gospel. Maybe you're thinking that there's something that depends on you. Father, I pray that you, you move in our hearts this morning. And as we close this study, I pray that you bring to our, our minds remembrance that we live in a temporal world, that our ministries are temporal, but you've put us here in this time to bring you glory. So Father, I pray that you can, you can bring to remembrance the key truths that we've gleaned from our study in the book of Acts, that generosity turns our focus outwards, while hypocrisy turns our focus inwards. 
and that we aren't hypocrites when we fail, but we are hypocrites when we allow false images of our moral goodness to be celebrated. And Father, as we've been saying, please help us remember that a day has been named for us all and how we live now is preparation for that day. But Father, as we're doing ministry, remind us that it is you who calls and it's your church who sins and it's your Holy Spirit who empowers us for success in evangelism, for you to light in saving sinners by way of those who've experienced your mercy, that we are qualified to preach your mercy because we've experienced your mercy. And Father, may we cut the ropes of any lifeboats that are plan Bs in our lives, our self-righteousness, our good works, and our faithfulness. May we watch those drift away and sink offering no hope to save us for we have no other savior but Christ and he alone is able to save so father I pray for this room right now that you will remind us of the work that you've called us to do and while that there are churches that are called to do your work ultimately it's us as individuals called to do that work you've gifted us and equipped us in, 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 in many different ways. And so, Father, please let the believers in this room feel your calling. Let them have confidence in the way that you've equipped them. But let them be disciplined in serving well, recognizing that our time is short. And for the, those who are in the room who aren't believers, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit does something that only your Holy Spirit can do, that when your Holy Spirit works and we are brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, that we are born again, born from above. And from that, we respond in faith and we repent and confess our sins and you are faithful to forgive us. So Father, I pray for those people in this room who have yet to believe in your son. May the Holy Spirit do something in their heart to help them recognize that Jesus is the true Messiah. He is worthy of their praise and trust. In Jesus' name. Let's continue to do business with the Lord. Continue to pray. If you need to come down here, that's fine. We'll be available. If you have any questions or comments after service, we'll be available as well. But let's spend these last few minutes praying and thinking about our personal ministries and whether or not we are preparing well for the day that they come to an end.